Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with author and life coach, Eric Griminger. Thanks for coming on the show, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. For sure, man. I'm really glad you're here. We've been connected for a little while. And uh, like I said a moment ago, I think we knew this would happen at some point, but I'm glad it's finally coming to fruition. So I'd, I'd really like to start out by jumping right in and hearing about what life looked like before you got sober. Where did your relationship with addiction actually start, would you say? You know, it's, looking back, just like, you know, a normal kid, it started out really fun, you know, be drinking, hanging out with my friends. And then usually the best way I like to describe it is like, you know, a few years would go by and I'd wake up in the morning and be like, Man, you know, I can't believe I did that last night. Like, not a big deal, but, you know, can't believe I did that. A few more years went by, I'd wake up in the, mor- in the morning like, shit, I can't believe I did that last night. And then a few more years went, would go by and I'd wake up like, Fuck, what am I doing? Why do I keep doing these things that I don't want to do, getting these results that I don't want to get yeah. uh, over and over again? But I was kind of such a, I guess, a slave to the addiction at that point that I couldn't attribute any of the unmanageability of my life to the actual drugs and alcohol. So I would look around and be like, well, it must be where I'm from, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody makes it out of this town. This place is messed up. So I'm from uh, Philadelphia area. And then I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, like thousands of miles away, you know, fresh start. And I mean, within probably a month, month and a half, I'm hanging out with the same type of people at the same type of places, doing the same type of things. Yeah. Yep. Then I dart to Fort Lauderdale, same people. Oh same man, places. you're just hitting, you're just going yep. coast and to then coast. Delaware. Yeah. So I went for the geographical, um, you know, change and, and it didn't work, but, but I started to kind of realize over time, but I had to hit a bottom personally, like my, my addiction, it basically wound up, um, if you don't mind me just kind of jumping into this. Yeah, yeah. Hit a huge bottom. It was August 4th, 2010. Mm-hmm. I found myself on a bench outside of City Hall, right here in uh, Center City, Philadelphia. Just released from Delaware County Prison for yet another DUI, another possession charge. And that's what my life would become. A series of working very hard to get things in my life, only to lose them all as a result of my addiction. Um, and I'll never forget it, Jonathan. I'm laying on this bench outside of City Hall, and on top of City Hall, there's a statue of William Penn. And I'm looking up at this statue of William Penn thinking, what have I done to my life? You know, and the feelings of hopelessness and mm-hmm. helplessness. I can still tap into those today. And I'm looking up at the statue 
And this is the best way that I describe it. When my, my internal psyche couldn't, couldn't take any more of the narrative. You're a junkie, you're a loser, you're a piece of shit that had just been replaying over and over for like a decade. Yeah. And my psyche, I like the word surrender. My psyche just surrendered. And then when my physical body couldn't take any more of the drugs, the drinking, the not sleeping, the poor nutrition, everything that comes with that quote, addict lifestyle, mm -hmm. my physical body surrendered. And at the intersection of my psyche surrendering and my physical body surrendering, it allowed for what I consider to be a higher consciousness to step in. And I mean, ever since that moment, that's my clean day. I've just been obsessed with finding ways, means, strategies, methods, whatever I could find. Now I'd help myself, but help anybody else who I ever came into contact with. Uh, that journey has taken me through 12-step programs. I've been through the 12 steps. I've sponsored people of multiple years to this day. I uh, went to Drexel University right here in Philadelphia to get a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology so I could understand diagnostic criteria and let people know that your diagnosis was never meant to be your destiny. Mm -hmm. uh, became a certified personal trainer so I can understand the symbiotic relationship between the mind and the body yeah. and how they work in unison um, and studied neuroscience and got a counseling certification from Villanova. Basically, all of those different disciplines have allowed me to create a program that I use in my life and that I use to you know, try to help as many people as I can. And just to bring this full circle. So I, I told you on August 4, 2010, I'm laying there broken, looking up at the statue of William Penn. On November 4, 2016, almost six years to the day, I signed a contract with a law firm on the 34th floor of the 1500 Market Building. It's the building directly next door to City Hall. On the 34th floor, I signed a contract to teach health and wellness to lawyers. And the, the whole time I'm looking out that boardroom straight into the eyes of that same exact statue, William wow. Penn. And I believe with every fiber of my being from that bench to that boardroom is possible for anybody. So I'm, I'm very passionate about recovery. Yeah, man, I, I can hear that. And I can love, I, I love and appreciate that. You describe the the bottom or you know whatever you like to think of it as for myself so well it was where the brain or or the you know the psyche is just exhausted and beat down and the physical body is exhausted and beat down and it's just kind of this culmination yeah. and that's exactly how i felt i mean you described that really well i love that because you know i most of the time i just think of is you know i was just done you know i was just beat beaten down to the point where i just couldn't couldn't do it anymore but that's that's uh i really like how you put that i want to ask you know i'm always interested in hearing just to rewind real quick in hearing people's kind of progression in this you know because i certainly believe that it is a, a progressive disease you know it's something that that certainly gets worse for most of us over time were you someone that it was just kind of like right to the races out of the gate if full force or is this something that built up over time and as you were making all these geographical moves the addiction mm -hmm. yeah yeah it built up over time for me you know obviously i started doing um the, the, the drugs that I was doing progressed to the point where when I didn't have certain ones in my system, I was physically ill as a result. And that was kind of like, all right, there, there's a problem here. Like, yeah. I, I uh, of course, tried my best to deny that problem, which probably prolonged uh, 
the addiction yeah. much longer than it needed to be. But, sure. but yeah, I would say to, to answer your question directly, it was a more of a progressive than a boom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between you sitting on that park bench and you being in the boardroom, I'm guessing. Uh, there's yeah. probably some work you did in there, probably yeah. some some tough moments. Uh, one of the things that I do like to ask guests on the show is, what do you think was one of the biggest things that you struggled with early in recovery? I'm so... Just, you know, being vulnerable, like mm -hmm. I had a very difficult time being vulnerable with people, um, asking for help, being able to receive the help. So that was a big one for me. Okay. You know, just, just kind of, yeah, that's what I would say. Just, just being willing to really accept help. I was always a very independent person. I worked very hard, you know, and was self-directed with everything. And then it got to this point where I needed to count on others in order to have success. And that was, uh, that took a little bit of, of learning, but mm -hmm. luckily I got there. Yeah. And so were you, I, I know you said you were, you know, you had gone out of prison. Were you forced into a program of recovery? Did you just walk in the door? Like, what did that look like for you? No, I mean, luckily, I mean, prison was it. That was the last stop. It, mm -hmm. it, it was enough. I did enough time in there where I kind of, my mind started to um, kind of get a little more balanced. I, I had been to treatment programs up until that point and, okay. you know, we'll go in and out. And I talk about, you know, recovery. I, I truly believe recovery is an opportunity not to be as good as you once were, but better than you've ever been. And I would go to these treatment centers and the message was just get the old Eric back go get the old Eric back. We just want the old Eric back. But there was a problem. I didn't like the old Eric that much. So that really wasn't a compelling vision for me or a compelling goal. So, um, you know, finally, you know, when I hit county jail, I just had an opportunity to just sit back and let my mind get clear enough where I could ask that very important question. Like, is this going to be, do I want this to be what the rest of my life looks like? And I was able to, uh, you know, like, like I said, the, the real bottom came on that bench. But I think those little moments of awareness because of clarity around it, I never really had that, uh, that big of a gap. Mm -hmm. So that was helpful. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I think I, I didn't want to be the old me. Um, and really, I in in all honesty, and you mentioned the word clarity, I think that's something that's just so important, because I really didn't know who I wanted. I didn't know who I was, I didn't know who I wanted to be. And really, I didn't even know what was possible in large part because of, you know, I'm just going to call it that negative thinking that you described where it's like, yeah, I've been doing this stuff for so long, I'm never going to get out of it. I'm never going to stay sober. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be successful. And you know, in any area of my life. Um, and I think that what gave me the biggest piece of clarity was being around other people that had, that had done this deal. You know, for me, a lot of that was, was part of being in a 12-step program and being around other people with not just sobriety and, and long-term recovery, but people that had really done something with their yeah. lives. I mean, I, I think there is 
in my mind, there's a lot more to, you know, the stick with the winners, uh, you know, saying that we've all heard or cliche that we've all heard a million times. And a lot of people think, because it gave me clarity that like, Hey, this is what's possible. These are some of the, the bumps along the road that you might experience. And when you have clarity surrounding those things and you hit some of those road bumps, for instance, it's not as, um, it, it's, it's not as bad most of the time. Cause you're like, okay, well, they, they said this was going to happen, you know? Um, so the, yeah, that, that's a great point. The clarity is, is so important, uh, as you pointed out, I, I think. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent with you. I mean, there's, there's there, that stick with the winner's phrase has a, there's a lot more that goes into it. People are, mm-hmm. a, recovery is a very active process. It's a lifestyle adjustment and, you know, being a predecessor comes with a certain amount of, uh, responsibility, at least the way that I view it. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to constantly be leveling up personally so that I could pass on lessons learned to the next person so that maybe they don't have to hit some of the roadblocks that I've hit, and, but they could level up too and progress. And let's define that as recovery, mm-hmm. right? Striving, reaching for goals, constant, constant improvement, constant growth in life. Yeah. And then more people, will, I believe more people will be attracted to it. If we define it within that context, growth in every area of our life. So it's an amazing thing to be a part of. It's very little about, you probably know this, it's not about stopping an old behavior. It's about building brand new ones and, and just going all in on those and yeah. uh, and doing it with passion and excitement and so that you will attract traction rather than promotion, right? Well, let's make sure that we're living a type of life that isn't you know, really attractive and well-rounded. Mm, yeah. At least that's what I try to do. Yeah, that, that's really well said. And well, you know, within a 12 step program, I mean, that's kind of the point, right, is to, to carry this to the, the next person. And, and yeah, I think we have to be able to do that well. And, uh, you know, I'm absolutely with you. I mean, the, the guys, for instance, that really had what I wanted, so to speak, they weren't just guys that were sober. Uh, you know, again, like they were, you know, for me personally, it was, and I think we'll talk about, you know, the fitness and health stuff here in a minute, but yeah, you know, for me personally, it was, I had never been in shape. I was super unhealthy. I was overweight for most of my life. And it was guys that were like, I saw these guys who were in good shape. Uh-huh. They were staying sober. They were happy. It seemed like most of them had done, you know, something decent with their careers or, you know, building businesses or something like that. They had healthy relationships. And so I I don't think, you know, in in my mind, and this is for me personally, and this is not to knock, you know, what anyone else is thinking, but for me personally, it got to a point where it was like, I just started to see the sobriety part as important as it is i wouldn't have anything without that you know that's why yeah, that's what sure. we're here to yeah, talk that's, about right? yeah thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. it starts there and it then- does start there absolutely but at, at a you know at a certain point it started to feel like that was kind of the bare minimum you know it's like that's really like the foundation it's like yeah. well what am i going to build on top of that because for me i just felt like just staying sober wasn't i don't know does that make sense to you makes perfect sense to me i i I reference it in my book like i got to a point where you know i was you know i was sober and i'm grateful for that i mean i was in better shape than i had ever been mentally physically emotionally Mm -hmm. but i was living in a recovery house driving an old beat up car and like i just I i was i was settling a little bit and i was like you know what i need to start defining um growth in all areas of my life 
and tether that with the word recovery, mm -hmm. right? And, and just kind of constantly be um, making little improvements and calling that recovery because I felt complacent and I started asking this very scary question for me anyway, uh, with probably about a year or two in, into sobriety, is this all there is? Mm. And that's a bad question, in my opinion, to be sure. asking, you know, because that little nagging go use voice is not too far behind that question. So I had to come up with an answer. I know this is not all it is. I could be in better shape physically. I could uh, get a promotion, go get an education. And that's when I really started uh, you know, noticing a momentum going in my That Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty awesome. And I, and I think like, as you, you were just describing that, for me, it boiled down to, if my life is not a whole lot better in recovery, like if I'm not happy, if I don't feel like, hey, this is pretty awesome, you know, and I'm really growing and, and striving towards something. If it if it's not motivating me, like why am I here? You know, why am I right? Doing yeah, doing this. And I there's mean, a I, whole neurobiological process behind that. Like those are good questions to be asking. We need to kind of be in pursuit of, of something. Well, and, and I so I want to I want to nerd out a little bit on on yes. some of that stuff. So let's let's talk about your book, okay? So reclaiming the brain, activating sustained recovery from addiction. So first of all, how did you come up with that title? So the way that I came up with that title is we hear a lot about the hijacked brain, right? Mm. And, and even you know, NIDA defines recovery as a chronic relapsing brain disorder characterized by compulsive seeking and continued use despite harmful consequences. We hear a lot about the brain disorder, a hijacked brain, but nobody really explains how to get that, those functions back, right? So reclaiming the brain is like, okay, if there's a hijacked brain, I'm gonna write a book on how to reclaim it using positive behavior. So the first step that I do is I explain the structures and the functions of what's going on in their quote, addictive brain. There's a ton of scientific literature, but unless you have a PhD, it's very difficult to read and comprehend. For sure. So yeah. what I've done is I've, I've made it a very simple to understand process. What are these main structures and how do they function? And then I go through each chapter setting goals. Well, that same structure can function very differently when you're setting tangible specific goals and waking up every morning and looking at them and writing them and going after them. Mm. That same brain area, that same dopamine neurochemical starts to get released. Same with relationships, skills, belief systems. So basically each chapter I tie in, a, you know, how the same structures that were quote hijacked can be reclaimed and not just reclaimed. I mean, used in them you know from exercise i mean you feel amazing sure because endorphins are being released well that you get high on your own supply you don't need that cheap you know stuff you know like you could literally activate sustained recovery from addiction hmm. through strategic behavioral um, modifications that's that's pretty awesome yeah and this is something i think is so important and i'm glad that you took it all condensed it put it in language that, you know, people like me can understand because I, you know, it, it took a lot of digging and, and learning and probably a lot more than I feel like, you know, I, I should have had to do to find this stuff. Like what I didn't understand is what you're saying is that 
you know, and, and I think we're going to talk about routines here in a second and how important, you know, having a routine is, but the, the, having the routines, the, the things that in early recovery, especially, but in recovery in general, we're, we're told to do on a daily basis or frequently that it's not just about doing it. It's, it's not just, we're actually in doing all that rewiring our, our brain and the rate, the way that it actually works, right? Neuroplasticity. I mean, every, you know, everything that we're doing is either strengthening connections, good connections or weakening bad ones or strengthening the bad ones and not forming the good ones. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very s- simplified explanation, but really it's kind of it. <laughs> like when you understand neural circuitry and what's going on, neurons that fire together, wire together. Neurons that fire apart, wire apart. Do consistent positive behaviors and you're going to fi- uh, you know, fire those together and you're going to have a positive network of neurons. Okay, so that being said, I want to ask you this. Sure. Because this this is something that I I go back and forth on. We hear in recovery a lot of the times just saying "fake it till you make it." Now, I sometimes I'm I'm a I go back and forth on. I don't know that I'm the biggest fan of that saying, but in this context, uh, does that actually work? Like when we're talking about like just going through and and doing these, you know, healthy things to put it simply over and over these healthy actions does that work to help rewiring your brain just going through it even if you're not really feeling it like visualization yeah i actually i i cite that in my book uh mental mental imagery so you could actually you know when you envision uh going through an action you can create those same networks and neurons and release the corresponding neurochemicals that feel good hormones through visualization so fake it till you make it um, again, like anything with the word fake it in is kind of like, but yeah. act as if like sometimes you I just like have that, to that show idea. up, do the best that you can. And yeah, ultimately you will make those, uh, those neural connections. And yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes, you can, your mind is very powerful. If you use it advantageously, you could get very good results. If you use it in a negative way, you're going to, you know, you're going to feel it and, and your life, your life circumstances are going to reflect that most importantly. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's something I think about pretty frequently is this, the real power of positivity. I mean, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, I was not into to say the least, uh, early in recovery and as much as I wanted to stay sober, I wanted to have a positive life. Like a lot of the positivity and stuff that I, I know I just need in my life now and positive thinking. And I was just like, man, this is so corny. Like, how is this really going to benefit my life? But I, I think you're dead on like the way that you think that's really, that's, that's what materializes in your life. Right. Yeah. So who did you actually write this, this book for? Because I could see maybe on one hand, you were writing it for, you know, people in the field of addiction, or maybe people early in recovery, who, who were you really thinking about as you wrote this book? You know, when I wrote the book, I was thinking it could work in a variety of ways. So I was thinking that number one, I was the number, I was the case study for the book. Okay. So all the information kind of was stuff that I've applied in my own life, very end of one mentality. 
and then I've been able to replicate a lot of these findings with this behavior modification program that I created. I've implemented at different treatment centers. So I have a lot of graduates. So I've been able to replicate it. And then I have scientific literature to support it all in the back with the citations. So it could, you know, I wanted it to be able to be used, number one, for a person reading this book in early recovery, seeing that there are ways to activate these uh, brain structures that have been working against you. But then I've had the opportunity to train, uh, for instance, school counselors on how to understand the information and put intervention strategies in place to activate it for people who may be struggling on that level. Tell me a little bit about your life coaching and, and the work that you actually do with ERP Health. And ERP is Engage Research Progress, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So Engage Research Progress, basically it's a technology, it's a digital behavioral health platform that we created to truly individualize the addiction treatment process, right? Because everybody's very unique and we all have unique needs, but it can be very difficult for a clinician to, to truly sit down and delve into those needs. What we've done with the technology is you could fill out different assessments offline. So measure depression when they're not even at the clinical uh, practice, but also correspond that say, wow, you exercise three times this week you meal prepped and ate a healthy lunch four times and your depression has gone down. And mm -hmm. I could see that displayed on my dashboard as I'm meeting with them. Well, that makes lifestyle stuff very prescriptive. Like if I give you a prescription for Prozac, it's X amount of milligrams, right? But we often will say, and you could appreciate this probably, like just go exercise. Right. Well, there's, there's nothing prescriptive about that, but everybody, mm -hmm you know, has unique needs. So the, the system, and that's just one small example of what it does, it individualizes uh, the addiction treatment process by meeting everybody exactly where they're at and then helping them to get wherever that they wanna go. So that's, that's really the, uh, the objective with that. The cool thing is simultaneously while we're individualizing the uh, process, we're able to increase revenue because it's all, you know, reimbursable treatment episodes. So we're looking to prove that helping people is really good for business. Yeah. yeah wow. that's, a, that's our motto. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Because, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but the way things work a lot of the time is, is it's just, I don't want to say that, you know, I, I'm not going to uh, suggest that any treatment center wants people to fail or anything like that, but it's the, the fact is, is that they make more money when people come back. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a whole push towards value-based reimbursements and outcomes, you know, and, and I've been tracking that for years with, with the program I created, but our system make it, we, the point is like, you have to build it into the workflow and make it easy to use. So it's not a disruptive technology. It's mm -hmm. an inclusive technology. But I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, in a fee for service model, the more times a person were, were to come back, the more money. Um, but also on the, on the flip side of that, decision makers, people who determine who's going to go to these treatment centers, they're hip to the game now. Like everybody knows like, all right, I want my loved one whom, whom I'm sending under your care 
to get the best treatment possible. And yeah. can and when you could have a technology like ours and show how you're different from a, from an unfortunate reputation that an, an industry um, like like that is getting, you know, not you know maybe there's just a few bad apples that, but like like it or not, the word is out to a lot of people that like all right, well you have to really do your research on what sort of treatment are offered here what is their readmission kind of rate are they able to show you any sort of outcomes are they even tracking outcomes right is that even an important so with our technology we're like look let us do the work it's a very easy to use system and and you can market like we are trying to do something different because we care about the end user right that patient like we put them first and that's always going to be good for business and a lot of people are are seeing that. I mean, the business is doing really well. It works great with telehealth now. So I could send you an assessment right now and not just have an individual session, but communicate and have a a lot of really great uh, patient health information to determine what direction I want to go with that treatment and and monitor progress, which is huge. And in personal training world, I mean, you don't, that's how you get paid, right? You, You see, you guys set up a goal and then you monitor biometrics psychometrics even you want to know feeling good doing this or is this a miserable experience right right yeah yeah that's that's all awesome man and um yeah absolutely i mean i i think that someone listening just to play devil's advocate here might be thinking like okay data technology like you know kind of who cares but um we were talking about clarity earlier and, and yeah, you're absolutely right with, with my, um, fitness and nutrition coaching clients. I think that, that, that is, and, and for myself and my own health and fitness, like what I've come to see is like, for me, it is important to track data. Why? Well, because it gives me clarity that I'm moving in the right direction because someone could tell me like, you know, let's say I'm working with you and you say, okay, yeah, I want you to eat healthy meals for lunch every day, focus on that workout four times this week. And, you know, if there's no way of tracking, like how I'm feeling after that or what these results are, then I don't know that I'm moving in the right direction. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest issues with recovery is that, you know, people can be doing this and they don't really, they, they don't, they don't have any way to measure that they are doing the right things. They can't see it. Right. And so when there's any kind of data there, it says, Hey, Eric, you are on the right track. Let's look at this. Um, Because like you and I both said, there's that in the back of our minds still, uh, well, not now, but you know, definitely early on in recovery, you're a piece of shit, you're going to fail. And but then when I have someone and something right in front of me saying like, Hey, here, here are the numbers. Like you're actually doing the right thing. Like you need to tell, uh, tell that part of the brain to kind of, you know, shut up for a little bit. That's, that's a very helpful thing, isn't it? Yeah. We give them their own portal. They have access to it. The clinician has access to it. It's a transparent engagement vehicle. Um, so for the, for the rest of that, of a full year, they're able to check in, uh, report, you know, information back because 28 days, let's be honest, you can't treat a chronic disease acutely. Yeah. Right? And that's a, that's a very acute time frame. But if we're able to expand that 
uh, time frame using technology. That's the beauty of technology. While, like I said, at the same time, we had to build a business case for this. Otherwise, nobody would right. want it. And I get right. that. Like these are these are businesses, and we've accomplished that. So now there's no reason not to do. It. Hmm. So like you know that's you know we're able to help the business side of the house, and obviously greatly enhance engagement, which helps the clinical side of the house and reduces burnout. We had to make it a no brainer. Uh, and we were able to do that. And we put it, I mean, I work, it's definitely not me. I work with an amazing team of very talented um, clinicians, MDs, uh, developers, uh, just all from the, the uh, treatment industry who are just super focused and passionate about, uh, you know, help, helping people. That's and awesome. It's, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to be a part of it. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. I want to circle back around to routines. And I know how much having a routine in my life has, you know, made it better to say the yeah. least. Yeah. Um, and, and how important having routines was early in recovery and, and even, you know, several years down the line. Tell me a little bit about what your daily routine looks like and maybe why you think it's important for people in recovery to find some kind of routine. Yeah, I, well, I think it's huge. It's, it's been a huge help to me. And I think that it's, you know, it's just very important as a whole. So basically, you know, my, my routine, the non-negotiables in my routine go like this. So when I, I call it a bookend system. So I bookend my days every single day. When I first wake up, I always start my day listening to or reading something inspirational, motivational, or educational, something that's gonna prime my mind for that day for success. I like YouTube, because now I've been listening to so many motivational things, YouTube has that algorithm, it'll mm -hmm. suggest it. So I sit down, I open my computer, I'm a coffee drinker, so if you're a coffee drinker, there's this magic moment where the caffeine hits and the motivational message kicks in and just launches you yes. into the day. I yeah. always caution people, do not, whatever you do, do not start your day off listening to the news or being on social media because then you're handing over your sovereignty and you, you never know what might pop up. It might be mm -hmm. very negative and then you're going to start your day in that way. There's a whole brainwave component to that. I outlined it in my book. I won't get into it today, uh, right now, but you're very susceptible to information in that early part of the morning. So you want to make sure you put good stuff in. So my habit is I always put positive information into my uh, brain first thing. And then at the very end of my day, I do it with my wife, but we always say out loud, or you could write it down. Don't just think it three things that I'm grateful for. Grateful for this, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for this. Tonight it'll be, I'm grateful to be on the show. Uh, but, but you marinate in gratitude, you wake up to inspiration, motivation, education. Marinate in gratitude, again, your brain waves are slowing down. Gratitude has been shown now, which is really cool to release serotonin. Mm -hmm. So that feel good, you know, I'm, I'm happy, I'm content, neuro, neurotransmitter, neuromodulator. Um, so basically, those are the non-negotiables. I never miss it. I started that six years ago. I kid you not, Jonathan, it changed my entire life. Like yeah. just priming myself with those bookends. And then I always exercise. You know, I get a lot out of exercising on a lot of levels, but mental health, obviously physical health. Um, I meditate 
daily. Those are a little, a lot of things that uh, I'll try different things in and out of the day. The non-negotiables yeah. are what I kind of mentioned that bookend system. The, the trying different things. I did want to ask, you know, one of the uh, reviews that I actually read on Amazon uh, for your book was just talking about how, you know, you mention uh, and touch on a lot of different, you know, types of recovery, so to speak, you know, um, uh, 12 step programs, Matt, um, I know how important it's been for me to try different things and ju just to see like what actually works and what I like and what I don't like. How important do you think that is for someone in recovery just to like find their own thing? I think it's huge. You know, just, just having the, having the ability to uh, number one, like I always think about, you know, who's the next person that might need my help and how many things are, am I knowledgeable like, am I able to offer a menu of options of things that I've actually tried? Not stuff that I read about. That shit sometimes could get a little old when people are, are telling me to do something and I know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you never even tried that. So right. I always, I have a personal rule. Like, I'll try something for a year, right? And and after that year, I'll kind of check in with myself. Like, all right, well, what were the pros? What were the cons? You know, I really go all in with it. It used to be 90 days. Now I like to do a year. I do bigger things now, but, um, but then I'm able to pass it on and say, look, I truly experienced benefits from this, or I tried this. I didn't get much out of it, but you may, but yeah. I tried it at least. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think to answer your question, I think it's, I think it's very important. Like that's, that's what makes life awesome. That's what makes recovery. Awesome. Give, give things a, a shot, go out there, dabble. Right. And if it meets this criteria can't possibly hurt me, could possibly help me. I'll go, you mm -hmm. know, I'll, I'll jump in and, and swim around a bit and have a little bit of fun, splash around with something. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I want to ask uh, real quick about just what your recovery looks like today and, and maybe how it's changed during COVID. Yeah. Um, so today it's primarily, I, I view recovery as lifestyle changes. So, you know, I've changed you know, just even when I mentioned that, that daily routine, the bookend system, I prime my mind for success. I'm very conscientious about the information that I put in my head. I call that recovery, um, keeping my mind healthy, the nature of my relationships, right? Just self-regulation, conflict resolution, being able to kind of have a healthy marriage, prioritize other people over, over myself. I consider that recovery anytime I'm able to do it I'm taking responsible for my recovery if I'm not I need to course correct and say I need to take responsibility for my recovery I use those words to say like all right I need to I don't feel like exercising today but exercise is part of my recovery program big part of my recovery program uh during COVID you know I and I, I do of course have a you know group of people who, who I love hanging out with who are part of you know have been part of my recovery for, for a long time. I don't really have that opportunity um, as much during COVID. So I had to kind of adjust. I do do, I'll, I'll hop in with the Zooms. Um, I went in a lot during COVID. Like I'm a very, I do a lot of speaking. I'm, I love being around people high five and like I'm this, I'm that type. Yeah. And I kind of had to, uh, I had to learn to go in and kind of monitor my emotions. I started a yoga nidra practice. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, they have like 20 minute ones online. I just Google yoga nidra. Um, 
I'll do a different one almost every time, but there's a few, you know, few, a lot on there. But it helps to just calm down my nervous system. And I kind of did a lot, I've been doing a lot of self-reflection as part of my recovery and just monitoring my own emotions on a daily basis so that I don't transfer any of that maybe stuff going on beneath the surface to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really where I'm at now. You know, I, I, I do, I have a, I do a little bit of counseling. I do a lot of kind of, uh, you know, I'm privileged to get to do a lot of these podcasts and talk about the book and do uh, presentations for local recovery community organizations, things like that, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. You know, getting the opportunity to give back in that way. So that's kind of how it looks these days. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So making, I mean, I really like the idea because this is what I think I've taken from this, uh, you know, that you mentioned just about taking responsibility for your recovery. I I think that's really what I've taken away from this whole COVID thing, you know, because like myself personally, my wife and I had, you know, a baby girl pretty recently. Yeah. Thanks. I, you know, so I wasn't, I mean, I just didn't feel comfortable going to in-person meetings, you know, there things, things changed. Yeah. But that being said, either I'm going to figure out a way to make it work or I'm not. And I know what the, I'm not part of things looks like, and I don't want to go that route. Right. Yeah. And um, so, so I agree, you know, I think that, um, you know, especially during a time like this for me, I just started to see like, man, this is, it's up to me to, and I can reach out to others and ask for suggestions and all that stuff, but it's yeah. up to me to do those things. You know, this is my responsibility. It's not on um, anyone else. I think that's a, that's a great point. It sounds like you figured out and, and found some things during this time that you really like to do that are, that are helping you uh, quite a bit, which is great. I do want to ask before we wrap up, Eric, if there's maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation, whether it's for someone that's new, someone that's been around a while and not really finding that, you know, that life that they want. Yeah. I mean, just never give up. Right. I mean, there's so many different uh, routes to, to recovery. There's, there's a lot of different paths to addiction. There's a lot of different paths to recovery. Stick around until you find the one that works best for you. I find some people that you trust that you look on that are really going for it in life, right? Like really maximizing this recovery. It's such an amazing lifestyle. It's such an incredible thing to be a part of. Find people who kind of exuberate, who, who show that and just ask questions like, man, how can I get to that point where I'm really, um, you know, thriving in, in life. It's not just about getting by recovery. Like I'll say it again and I'll finish, you know, with this recovery is not an opportunity to be as good as you once were, but better than you've ever been. And that's all possible for, uh, for anybody. That's awesome. That's great advice, Eric. So you can learn more about Eric and his life coaching at erphealth.com. And be sure to grab your copy of Reclaiming the Brain on Amazon. Thanks again for coming on the show, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, 
You can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.